You're listening to Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that, uh, well, we haven't talked about a movie that just came out in a while. Uh, today we're talking about a movie that just came out in the grand scheme of things because it came out uh, 20 years ago, which is basically no time at all. And it is the last movie by Stanley Kubrick. Uh, last time we talked about A Clockwork Orange. This time, which was... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That was Stanley Kubrick's ninth movie. And today we're talking about his last movie, Eyes Wide Shut, which is uh, bizarre because if you think about Stanley Kubrick, or at least when I think about Stanley Kubrick, I think about actors who are uh, either no longer big names or very different from when they started out. But this movie features Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman who are quite modern compared to what I normally think of. And also this movie is extremely disturbing. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, there's not really that much spoilers, uh, that many spoilers. This movie is a hard movie to spoil. It's very psychological, but uh, I guess there is a point. We kind of think there that at that point, there's probably, you know, if you don't want the movie spoiled for you uh, in air quotes, I guess that's where you should uh, get out. So, you know, there's a warning. Really, this movie is hard to spoil, so I think you're probably fine regardless. Here's here's a, a song that features very heavily in Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, this is Waltz Number 2. You're listening to Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, the podcast that you can listen to without opening your eyes. Today, we are talking about, uh, this is kind of a continuation of last week's podcast. Uh, last week, we talked about a Stanley Kubrick movie. Uh, what was it called? A Clockwork Orange. Today, we're talking about Stanley Kubrick's final movie before he died, six days before he died, actually. There is there is an argument to be made that this movie is unfinished. We're talking about Eyes Wide Shut, starring Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Uh, Pierre, you want to tell us what Eyes Wide Shut is about, if you can? Well, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, Eyes Wide Shut is a movie starring uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Uh, based in New York, I believe. Is it New York? Yes, it is New York. And they are essentially the movie is about Tom Tom Cruise just kind of going having a weird couple nights, uh, and dealing with the idea of infidelity. Yeah, uh, I believe this movie takes place over the course of. Certainly no more than 72 hours, but most yeah. of it happens in one night, one very wild night. Yeah. Uh, 
And I, I don't know what to say from that, like, without really spoiling it, but... Yeah, yeah. it's essentially... So this is an erotic thriller, I would say. Uh, and... <laughs> Whatever that what means. Happens, <laughs> what happens pretty early on is Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, uh, their names are Alice and Bill. Alice and Bill get into a, an argument while they're both high uh, about um, a few years before on a family trip, uh, Alice had considered the idea of cheating on him. She hadn't actually, but she'd considered it. And Bill up to this point has prided himself on never being jealous. Uh, and all of a sudden, he's extremely jealous. So he, like, takes a night to try and cheat on her with with really kind of no results. I don't think he ever actually does. But it's, yeah. um, I guess at least not physically, it's, it's, a lot happens in that night. It was this like is, the first movie I've seen where... They like the main character just cannot cheat, or like mm. this a character tries to cheat and nothing happens. You know, it's, it's kind of funny in a weird way. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little remarkable how unsuccessful he is, <laughs> despite all the opportunities he has. But um, oh man, I have a lot to say about this movie, and I'm trying to figure out where to start. Uh, this movie was profoundly disturbing. Uh, really well paced, surprisingly, even though it's two and a half hours long. Um, and honestly, I thought it was very Stanley Kubrick. Like, I I thought it was extremely different from the other Stanley Kubrick movies I've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was also, it followed, as much as Stanley Kubrick maybe has a formula, this one definitely followed that formula. I don't think that there is really a formula, but it had, it had uh, certain elements that I recognized from other Stanley Kubrick movies, including um, A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. I would, say, I would say the biggest thing was uh, this movie spends a lot of time building up. I would say the first almost hour is entirely build up of Bill and Alice's characters. Like they go to a party and the party is probably a half an hour of the movie where it's just them interacting with other people specifically to build up their characters. And then after that, Bill walks out into New York and does his whole little cheating adventure. The main, the main thing about this movie, the main thing that's advertised, the main thing everyone knows this movie for, the thing that you're looking for going into this movie, watching this movie in 2020 are the eyes wide shut parties, which is this weird orgy uh, that happens at a masquerade ball of um, incredibly powerful elites. Uh, and that happens, that's like a 10-minute scene. So it's this big, powerful scene that is the climax of the movie, but it's been built up to, it, it works so well because it's been built up to, for at that point, about an hour and a half. And then after that 10-minute scene, there's still another hour of the movie, but you don't get another Eyes Wide Shut party, which I thought was really fascinating. It sort of reminded me of, uh, it sort of reminded me of other movies of his, 
specifically, just because it's fresh on my mind, it reminded me of A Clockwork Orange because the thing that everyone knows from A Clockwork Orange is the scene where he's got his eyes, like his eyes are being held open and he's watching the movie. And the therapy session, which is what that is, is maybe 10 to 20 minutes of that movie. And it's so effective because they've spent an hour and a half up to that point building up to it. And then the rest of the movie is fallout from that 10 minute therapy session. So I thought that was really, that's what I recognize. That's how I knew this was a Stanley Kubrick movie, aside from the fact that at the beginning it said directed by Stanley Kubrick. Uh, But um, I thought that that was really interesting. I thought that um, I now know to expect that from Stanley Kubrick movies. The more I look back on his movies, the more that is kind of how a lot of his movies work. Yeah, I could see that. He he shows a very big restraint for the main parts of his movie mm-hmm. the plot, you know, and, and so puts a surprising amount of focus on things that aren't related to that. Uh, yeah. Which I think only a, a filmmaker at, at like the prestige of Kubrick uh, would be able to do because of how... Um, I think it's very easy to to do that and make the movie seem really boring. Um, somehow, though, I'm not sure. Like every moment of this movie was actually really captivating. I have Absolutely. no idea why. Um, a lot <laughs> there's for most of the movie, honestly, not re- much really happens uh, because again, it's kind of a lot of Tom Cruise attempting to cheat, and then yeah, he doesn't over and over again in different scenarios. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I, I, it was just so I, I don't. I think it was like the directing felt very I- intimate and odd. Like, yeah, uncomfortable it, in a way. That's I think. I mean, I said before this movie was extremely disturbing, and I really don't know if I could put into words exactly why. I may have just watched it at the wrong time. Maybe I'm going through an eyes wide shut phase right now that I shouldn't be watching that movie. (laughs) But uh, um, yeah, I don't know exactly if I could put it into words, but the directing, it's, it's the directing. It's in the directing is why. I don't know if I could tell you exactly, but the directing really feels unsettling, as you said. Uh, I noticed that um, whenever Tom Cruise is performing his normal duties as a human doctor in New York, um, it just feels off. Like, it feels like this is not who he is supposed to be. So there's a scene in this, I think, I don't know if it's the most disturbing scene, but it's the scene that sticks with me the most. at the beginning of the movie, there's a party and what happens at this party is Tom Cruise, you know, meets some models. He meets his old friend from medical school. Uh, Nicole Kidman meets a Hungarian man who really, really wants to have sex with her. Uh, and then <laughs> eventually this party ends and it is what it is. Uh, later on the next day, when Tom Cruise goes into work, we see him walk into work while Beethoven's Waltz number two is playing. And something about that just seems so off to me. I don't know if that's, that's probably not the part that disturbed you the most, I'm sure. But he walks out of an elevator. Beethoven's Waltz two is playing. He's look, he looks so professional, just walks up. And it just seems like such a simulacrum of a person that it just, 
it rubs me the wrong way because like up and because you see at this point that like Tom Cruise's character isn't doing his normals. He's not doing his normal stuff because that's what he would be doing. He's performing the role of a doctor, which is very, very unsettling. And I really don't understand. I don't think that any other director that I've seen could pull off a scene where a guy just walks into his office and make me feel as uncomfortable as when Tom Cruise walks into his office in this movie. Yeah. I, it's, it's doesn't even feel like a movie in some senses and not like a movie, you know, like I, whenever I watch a movie, I can usually like find certain, like, Oh, like I feel this way because they did this. Uh, you know, like if they shoot like an action scene, right. It, it feels intense because of lots of quick cuts and uh kinetic uh exciting camera movement and stuff and good choreography but there's so many things in this movie i can't really understand why it makes me feel certain ways because it's just done so subtly subtly mm-hmm. uh like from what i can tell if i had to guess there the way he kind of builds because he's kind of building a world almost uh in this movie because it, it, everything just almost feels like a dream, you know? Yeah. And it, it's just slightly oh. off down to the acting. I think the actors are very, the characters were very unpredictable and hard to get, kind of get a track on. Like Tom Cruise's character, for example, uh, like the movie starts with him and Nicole Kidman. They're very, you know, they seem like a very normal couple. They seem very well, good together. Uh, and they seem to love each other. And then they go to this party and then they sort of start acting completely differently. And that Nicole Kidman, well, I guess she was kind of drunk, so that, that explains it. But she was acting very flirtatious to, to the Hungarian man. Uh, and it's uh, kind of silly and not, not really all there. Um, and then Tom Cruise was like actively flirting with other women in front of her that she mm-hmm. saw. And... It was just like such a weird because especially because it's the start of the movie and this is the first thing we see. You kind I I was just kind of left wondering like what are the what are the goals of the characters here, you know? And yeah. I just they're they're they the their actions do not line up with what was kind of established at the start. But mm-hmm. then even from this scene when we we see that it it looks like Tom Cruise was gonna cheat on his wife. That's what it was leading to until he gets cut off, <laughs> uh, right. which happens a lot in this movie. And then Nicole Kidman refuses to dance with the Hungarian man because she's she. Uh, it, it feels like now they're trying to show that she is much more faithful than Tom Cruise is. Uh, the next scene is, or one of the next scenes is Tom Cruise or Nicole Kidman basically explaining to Tom Cruise, I I. There was one time when I, I was going to cheat on you and nothing in this world would have stopped me if I, I saw that man again, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just such a consi- constant shift of like, what, like, and I'm just kind of left wondering, what are these characters? Who are they, you know? And what are they, what are they trying to do uh, and show to each other? Because it's just, it's just, it just felt all over the place. But then also, instead of just being like, you know, in a movie where characters are totally inconsistent or their motives are inconsistent, I'd be like, well, what the hell is the director doing? This makes no sense. And this, I'm just endlessly fascinated. I'm like, 
why why are they acting this way what am i missing out on you know and it just drew me in even more yeah um i i don't know if this uh i don't know if you felt the same way but i felt that uh i felt the reason this movie hit harder for me than um something like a clockwork orange was a clockwork orange it has that very light sci-fi element i mean in in the Clockwork Orange, you understand that in the context of the movie, it is a future world, barely. But it's it's a fant- it's a world that doesn't exist. You've got characters that are doing things and that are acting in ways that real people don't quite act. There's there's enough there that you understand the metaphor, but it's not real. Where in this movie, um there are elements that I'm sure are not real, like the eyes wide shut parties that happen. Probably they don't happen in that form in real life. If they, if there's anything even remote, remotely comparable, but on the other hand, nothing about this movie seemed off in the same way. Nothing about it seemed fantastic. This was a very realistic movie. Like everything in this could, could happen kind of. And that's part of the reason that the characters with inconsistent motives worked so well is because these characters are just real people. Their motives weren't inconsistent for no reason. They were inconsistent because real people have somewhat inconsistent motives or many motives that aren't always aligned with each other. Yeah. Well, I I wouldn't say I, it wasn't as blatant as Clockwork Orange. I did get the same general feeling of a slight like yeah i got the same feeling but in this movie it was just slightly off you know so yeah I, again i i i did it's it's almost like he took what he made in a clockwork orange and took out all the like i wouldn't say unnecessary but all the artistic stuff and made it all like put it all into like the character format you know Mm-hmm. Uh, like no crazy set designs, no wacky characters, uh, just yeah. And I, I don't know. Like I, I, I literally cannot describe why. But the thing is, so like I thought. I think a big part of why this interested me, though, because I was really interested to see where this story led, what it was setting up. You know, like I was like, oh, there's so much more to these characters that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I decided to find out. Uh, but as the movie goes on, even after that, it takes a very different path than you might expect with uh, the discovery of the the sex club or whatever. Yeah. And uh, there's, I, I guess it just felt very out of nowhere because, again, literally nothing from the start of the movie kind of leads into the sex club. It's, it's, it's like they were making a movie and then they were like, let's put a sex club in the middle. And see what happens, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and going into that, it it, de- it definitely shifts into the more erotic thriller genre that you were describing earlier. Uh, right. This movie might be I, I don't know the first one, but uh, that that's when it kind of starts to take a turn towards the fantastical, or not fantastical, but the the abstract with this uh, concept because. There's lots of uh, rituals that aren't really explained. The the costumes are very, you know, different and stuff. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's kind of like we're we're just walking, 
because Tom Cruise, he doesn't really have an active role in this club. He just kind of wanders through it and then gets kicked out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, like, again, it just feels so weird because I don't know why it's there. And I don't know what exactly this has to do with the the character arc of Tom Cruise, you know, necessarily. It's yeah, just, but, I, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on the that... sex club? Well, I think that that's sort of the culmination of Tom Cruise's arc. It's kind of where he see that's where he has the up until this point, he's basically just been trying to cheat on his wife, right? And in the sex club, he has the ultimate opportunity to do so. And for one thing, still doesn't, but he also gets in huge trouble here. Like this is where everything after this point in the movie is um, him trying to find that sex club again, I guess, chasing the same high, I guess, if you want a metaphor. Um, but the sex club, uh, the people who run it sort of messing with the rest of his life, like psychologically torturing him down to make sure that he never ever reveals their secret. Uh, and so this is sort of the culmination of his of of uh, this. This is definitely the climax of the movie. Up until this point, everything's been building up to this sex club, and not obviously. Like at no point up until this part, do you want? Do you know? Do you realize? Oh, this is all going to culminate in a sex club. But then <laughs> after this, after this movie, every or after that scene, everything is fallout from it. So it's sort of this is the turning point of the movie. Yeah, that's true. It's it's definitely uh, like I I I almost want to say the movie doesn't even entirely follow like a three act structure because of that. Not um, real. It's almost a two act structure, I would argue. Yeah, with just before the before and then the after, the yeah. aftermath. Uh, so yeah, and then like so afterwards when he's, I guess it kind of reveals more of what's going on like the themes of the movie with it seems to from what i can tell it's very much about the abuse of power or the shifts of power uh, in society and w what what it means to truly be powerful and and, and rich you know because tom, mm -hmm. tom cruise's character is shown to be you know he's he's pretty rich he's a successful doctor but he's consistently kind of put up against rich forces that he cannot mess with you know despite yeah. being definitely like part of the top maybe one percent in society tom cruise is so he's he's powerful enough that he can make essentially anything he wants happen on short even on short notice because you know he goes out at like 10 in the after 10 in the evening for a house call and after that he goes to a jazz club. He gets a guy who's uh, he gets a costume from a costume shop that isn't open. He does everything. He does whatever he wants. He could do more than that too. Uh, but then he winds up still in over his head when he encounters a sex club run by essentially the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah. Uh. So I I mean like. That's that could be a theme of just how corrupt society is at, at the very top. Um, 
And that, that that's is, literally probably the only thing I can take from this movie. Well, because... if that is a theme, and I don't, I think it is. I think you're right in that. But I think that's a very abstract theme because it never says this is how corrupt society is. It's basically, if Tom Cruise is supposed to be the stand-in for the audience, let's say, then when he finds the upper crust of society, he actually cannot comprehend what they're up to. There is, he, he has no idea what he's gotten himself into and does not fit there. Even though he is, you know, if he's supposed to be a stand-in for the audience, he's a stand-in for like 1% of the audience that is watching that and can vote in the Academy. Like he is the upper, he is the upperest upper crust. But then there's another bunch of people above him that he can't even comprehend. Yeah, and then he, the, I guess the movie also gives him the opportunity to kind of flex his power, which mm-hmm. he doesn't really do. Like he's he's confronted with, like we talked about earlier, many opportunities to cheat. Uh, with uh, well, first of all, there was that woman who was the daughter of a client he had, and she just kind of declares her love for him out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and he. You know, he's kind of put in this very powerful position, obviously. Um, she's, she's engaged, but she's basically saying, I, I want, I need you in my life in some way. Uh, keep in mind, this is directly after his wife basically told him that she was willing to ditch him for a dude. Uh, so he's in like an emotionally vulnerable state, right? So, mm-hmm. and he, he kind of takes the high road of obviously saying like, like we don't know each other. This, this, you're just really emotional right now. You're not thinking properly, uh, and, and leaving. And then, and then right after, I believe it was right after. He's 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 confronted by a prostitute who, uh, uh, is almost is about to have sex with him. And then he gets a call from his wife, and uh, and then he leaves. But then she, he still pays her. So. Without having sex with her, so it's stuff like that where the it does it does seem to put him in these positions where he he has to choose between doing the wrong the immoral thing and the right thing, and even though he 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 was like in emotional pain from Nicole Kidman, what she said to him, he does seem to take the high road every time, uh, despite his his emotional state and, and and in some cases his curiosity to see what what lies ahead for him if he is willing to uh to do the wrong thing you know and kind of transcend to the upper echelon of society because they can and he chooses not to and kind of that's why he never really like ends up cheating because he he's not willing to do what it takes i guess to join that level of society yeah, I, in that respect, I really don't know. What is this movie? What is this movie trying to say? It's definitely trying to say a lot of things, and I really don't know what the ultimate point of this movie is because uh, when it comes to the themes of, I guess, the different levels of society, is it saying that Tom Cruise is unable to join? higher society because he's unwilling to act immorally or is that not it because he totally is trying to he just never 
takes the plunge in a way. I would, I would say so. Like, cause he's, the thing is he's, he's given so many opportunities. It's almost like women are like throwing at him, throwing themselves at him in this movie. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he never technically does. He gets close. Uh, which, you know, like I, th- I think when you're given, when you're as privileged as he is, you know, you're, you're constantly going to be thrown these, these the uh, these temptations at you uh mm-hmm. in, in terms of the women in terms of the uh getting away with doing the wrong thing uh secret clubs and stuff like that you know and uh yeah. and he but he just he he's kind of striding the line and and it's hard to blame him because yeah he like again like this movie he's He's kind of like on an emotional quest or journey. Uh, and and when he returns, like he kind of returns back home at the end and he's, you can see how disturbed he is by, by what he's seen of like what kind of lies out there uh, in the depths of, in the, or in the highest depths of, uh, of New York and what he's discovered. And he, he just, he simply, because he's he's almost like just a normal he's a normal guy he's like an everyday man not not in terms of his richness but in terms of you know his personality right he just he seems to want a normal life mm-hmm. and the minute he kind of does some soul searching and it goes all all, uh, all crazy he, he realizes just how out of out of his league he is you know and and how much he needs he can't he kind of needs that solid familial life at home because he yeah. can't deal with what's out there. I think it's uh I think it's interesting because in a way although Tom Cruise is definitely uh Tom Cruise's character is super rich and probably not specifically in that respect relatable to many of the people watching this Stanley Kubrick keeps him relatable through Exactly that. He takes the moral high ground. He's always, uh, he's essentially trying to be, he's trying to have a normal life. He's trying to have a, he's, you know, essentially doing the things that he, that he is supposed to do. And then at the end, or by the end of this movie, he's being tortured for it. So I guess that's, that's the, that's the sticking point for me is what is this movie trying to say? If it's trying, what is, what exactly is it trying to say? Because by the end of this movie, we've experienced the, like part of the message is that if you're unwilling to, if you're always trying to be the moral, if you're always taking the moral high ground, you're going to suffer for it pretty heavily because like this guy is traumatized at the very end from what he's seen. And this movie clearly doesn't, necessarily want to communicate that the correct thing is to not take them or is not to take the moral high ground but it's also saying that i mean it's also a horror story for its protagonist <laughs> yeah and it does it does take me back to uh uh I'm, i want to talk about like like uh, it's like a slice of life movie you know um oh. Again, like kind of looking at, we've looked at Gilbert Grape uh, and the, the the Basketball Diaries, um, and, and it, it is reminiscent of like movies with no real narrative thrust, 
uh the character mm-hmm. just kind of go through life um and experience it uh and yeah so i i because honestly at first i was really looking for some really deep meanings in this movie but the more i think about it the more i kind of realize this like it, i i think it has it's very deep but it, it doesn't really press the audience to think about it you know mm-hmm. uh it, it definitely gives a lot of room to think because of its hefty runtime and a, a very, very slow pace. Yet, uh, I, I kind of like it in terms of like just seeing it as this is a character's kind of journey through through uh, the depths like of New York, you know, or like the, the scariest parts of New York, upper class New York. And... Uh, and we just, it's just, we're kind of like along for the ride, you know? Uh, so again, yeah, no, no real narrative, uh, but it, it's almost like a, an amusement park ride or something, you know? It's just an experience for us to see rather than a, a set, set character development, a set plot and like having lots of like everything kind of tying neatly together. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. And also... I guess tying back to a different thing you said, though I do not remember the words. Um, this movie has a lot of, uh, it's got a lot of subtleties in it and a lot of ambiguities. Like there's, we see everything from the perspective of Tom Cruise, his character, Bill. And as he's walking through things, uh, as he's walking through New York, things happen and they're not always made explicit. They just sort of occur and they happen on the sidelines and he exper- like he he gets bits and pieces but we're not shown the entire thing um mm-hmm. like for example uh he goes to the he goes to the costume shop and while he's there the guy who runs the costume shop uh yells at his, at his daughter for having a threesome with two chinese businessmen and the next day he goes back to that costume shop and all of those characters are still there and they are getting along famously. And we never really know what happened, but because of what's happened up to that point, we can kind of infer a couple of different ideas. And uh, that's, it's kind of comedic in that scene, but there's a few other scenes like that where just the implication is a lot more than what we're actually given yeah that like that that's the that's the one scene that really made me think it was like a dream sequence maybe or just like a dreamy world just because mm-hmm. of how odd and weird that that the resolution was they explained very little as like literally nothing <laughs> uh, the yeah. main character just kind of sees it and he's even he's just kind of dumbfounded you know he's just like like again we're kind of put in the eyes or his, he's kind of like our, the audience surrogate where he's equally like what what is happening this makes very little sense yeah uh, and yeah so stuff like that is really thrown off but again like it doesn't really solve anything but i i do i do think it it adds to the showing how how uh cuz i i'm guessing the businessman got away with it my the way I see it is they got they got away with it because they they paid the guy a shit ton of money, essentially. 
And, mm -hmm. and then it was okay that they were messing around with an underage girl. Even his dad was, even her dad was okay with it, you know, and how, and how disgusting that idea is. Uh, yet it's treated like such a small part of the movie that doesn't really matter because in, in the, in the other characters' minds, like what, once, once the money's there, they don't really care anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, um yeah. I think uh I think I guess what I want to touch on is uh I guess this is spoilers for this movie if if you care. Um so uh when he goes to the party at the end of the party he gets found out. Uh he gets, you know, found out as an intruder, like he's not supposed to be there. And one of the girls that's at the party uh says that she's going to sacrifice herself for him. And we get no resolution about what actually happens to her. Later on, as he's walking around trying to figure out what the heck just happened last night, uh, he's finding all of these... He's retracing his steps from the night before, and that's where he encounters all of these kind of strange things. Like, uh, when he goes back to the costume shop and the Chinese businessmen are just getting along with everybody. And where he tries to find his friend uh, Nick Nightingale and can't. And where later on he uh, meets up with um, the friend who invited him to the party at the beginning of the movie. Um, and was apparently at the party that he had been to the day before. And I guess tells enough about it that you can infer that he actually was. But um, this is where a lot of those... This is kind of a payoff for all of the things in the movie that don't resolve. Because uh, this is where everything doesn't resolve. He goes to find Nick Nightingale and can't find uh, Nick Nightingale, I guess, if we haven't mentioned it up to this point. Nick Nightingale is the piano player that he was friends with in medical school and who is also the uh, pianist for this Eyes Wide Shut party. Uh, anyway, he tries to find Nick Nightingale and he can't find Nick Nightingale. And when he looks, when he tries to find Nick Nightingale, he finds out that he has left New York and uh, was pretty banged up. He left New York at five in the morning and had a bruise on his face. And that's all we know about him. Uh, when he goes to the costume shop, the intense argument that he witnessed the day before uh, just isn't a big deal anymore. Um, and he finds out that a uh, a former beauty queen who he's who is implied implied technically confirmed, but like this movie is all everything in this movie could be real or not. Uh, technically confirmed to be the woman that had sacrificed herself for him yesterday has died, uh, and then. At the end, uh, he's it's it's explained to him exactly what happened the night before, and you know what happened after he left, and none of it is sinister. But up until that point, there's so much ambiguity that you don't know who to believe. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, there's no there's no real trust in any anyone after the, yeah. especially given how unpredictable every character has has been thus far in the movie there's no yeah. real reason to trust anyone in the movie. uh so yeah i i don't really know 
what else there is to say. Like, I I want I just really like I loved like stuff like the the cinematography was actually very nice. I, I nothing very specific about it, but yeah, the acting was very well done. I think Tom Cruise surprisingly, I don't I don't usually like Tom Cruise, but this is one of the the few roles I've seen from him where he 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 definitely has to play a very uh, different character than he's used to, as in like the non action character. Uh, and he does it. He does it really well. Um, yeah, same with Nicole I, Kidman. She was uh, I, like she had that scene where she's admitting, or the monologue where she's admitting to her thoughts of of uh, erotica infidelity. with another infidelity with another man. Uh, and that honestly, that that scene is very, it's almost terrifying. Which it, it sounds like an overstatement, but just be given how odd her character is acting. Well, yeah, because they they set it up where she's she's high and upset, and she starts that monologue with the man, with manic laughter, and then leads into a very serious dramatic monologue that I believe ends again with manic laughter. Yeah, there's there's just like you you literally do not ex- know what to expect next. Yeah, in that in that emotional toolbox. That she is dishing out. So, yeah, amazing performance from her. Uh, I I wouldn't say there are many other like many other characters really pop out because like they're kind of they're they're kind of given like a uh, I don't know like no, there's no really other major roles. The other one, the only one that I could think of is like the the rich guy from the start of the movie that hosted the party. Sidney uh, Pollock. Uh, his character's name is Victor Ziegler. Victor Ziegler. Um, he's kind of used just as an exposition tool uh, later towards the end. And, um, but yeah, that, that's honestly it. Uh, but yeah, I will say Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Very entrancing to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very good performance out of both of them. And uh, I just love the whole atmosphere of the movie like like the sets and stuff i i loved the the new york sets i don't know how if they shot on location this movie was surprisingly expensive it cost 65 million dollars this movie actually uh i don't know if you know this this movie holds a guinness world record uh can you guess what for uh most um no i i can't actually longest continual shoot this movie took 400 days of shooting to get Oh my god. Which is I wow. mean that's insane regardless, but this movie takes place over a 72 hour period if that. So yeah. the fact that it took 400 days is actually absurd. And not many of like the sets and stuff were that I I don't understand. I just literally do not understand how it took up that much time. I mean Stanley Kubrick is a perfectionist, I guess. Well apparently, jeez. Uh wow. Um okay. So, but yeah, like I, I love the like the the vibe of New York. Again, I don't know if it was on location or not, but just very kind of ghostly and and empty, you know, mm-hmm. um, without feeling like obvious, like very like not like very obviously, uh, kind of showing the audience, like like for example, like looking at Gotham from the Batman movies, like. 
it, I, I, I feel like they could have gone for a vibe like that if they if they wanted to, but I got the same vibe as Gotham in a way, but just not as uh, not it, it was very subtle, you know. Mm-hmm. So so I love stuff like that. Writing was pretty good. The dialogue wasn't like amazing, but like you know, it kept you really interested. The dialogue and was perfect for what it needed to be. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and and that's the thing. It's just this movie. It's a surprisingly artsy movie. Uh, I I think going into this, I doubt it on paper. It, it looks it, it looks very normal, but it's it's really not. Um, just because of yeah the. The, the structure of the plot and the the acting and the general atmosphere uh yeah so i mean i just i liked it for what it was i was very confused by it it's a very unconventional movie uh but it definitely made you feel something and i feel like this movie I feel like this is of the Stanley Kubrick movies I've seen. And I guess to, to clarify, I've seen uh, Dr. Strangelove, uh, 2001, a space odyssey, the shining uh, and a clockwork orange. And I've seen half of full metal jacket. So of the Stanley Kubrick movies that I've seen, this is the only one where I look at it and I say, this movie got made because Stanley Kubrick wanted to make it. Not that the other ones weren't things that Stanley Kubrick wanted to make, but like A Clockwork Orange was a pretty pretty successful novel. And like, sure, he could sell that. Uh, the Shining, extremely successful novel. He could sell that. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, same thing. All of those movies are things that like he could very easily sell. This movie, I don't know why any studio would be interested if it wasn't a director with a name like Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, very fair. And especially with the length and the subject matter, a very ballsy movie to put out in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's unfortunate. I like, cause also we don't know, we don't know how much of Kubrick's vision this actually was. Cause he did die. Was it two months before release? Six days after filming. Six days, or six, after day, filming. Six, six days after the version that we saw was complete, I believe. Yeah. So, like, I, I feel like maybe he would have added more. Because there, there's, I read there was conflicting stories. One was that he thought it was amazing and he loved it so much and he was really excited to, to release it. And another one where he thought he was, it was trash and that he wanted to fix a lot of things in it. So I think that the truth is probably i so considering that the the i considering that the statement that he actually liked this movie quite a lot uh is the one that's said by more people i kind of think that's closer to the truth mm-hmm. but the truth was honestly probably none of them are lying i'm sure that stanley kubrick probably you know, he called up one person and said, this is incredible, and then had a change of heart the literal same day, called up another person and said, this is awful. But yeah. uh, I imagine that the actual truth is probably somewhere in between where, um, because the important thing to notice to note here is that uh, Stanley Kubrick had a, um, he had a habit of editing his movies all the way up to and sometimes after release. 
2001 A Space Odyssey, the version we see today is not the version that premiered. It's the version that was in theaters, but it is not the version that premiered because he edited it after the premiere. So um, when we get a movie that premiered after his death, it is likely that had he been alive, he would have continued making at least small fixes on it, at least until it came out. Right, yeah, you would think so. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I don't, in some ways, like, I don't know how, how much, I, I, it's hard for me to judge this movie, I guess, because I don't want to say it could have used some work, because it maybe it could have, depending on what Kubrick wanted. Um, but either way, yeah, I, I think it did its job. I was surprisingly, I can't explain why, but I, yeah, I was really fascinated throughout. I was excited to find out what happened next. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was a kind of a cool commentary. It doesn't really say anything uh, directly. I think it leaves a lot of room for the audience to kind of make up their own mind and, and of what even the movie is about, honestly, uh, which it's, is nice. And uh, Yeah, I would say it's a little less that... Uh... Some of Stanley Kubrick's movies, um, specifically I'm thinking of A Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange makes very concrete uh, statements about morality and religion and the prison system, where this movie sort of comments on, you know, the relationship between men and women, um, the, like, various class structures and stuff like that but it never makes an explicit point about it i guess or at least it leaves it open enough that you can interpret it any of a number of ways yeah it's very clear kind of what direction it wants you to go but it never it's never clear what exactly it's saying mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a very passive passive yeah. movie um but yeah overall like i i doubt i can't think of any other director off the top of my head, I could have made a movie like this and actually pulled it off, you know? Um, yeah, because of just how incredibly hard this movie would have had, would have been to sell, but then also make too, because again, I don't understand how, how interested I was in it, despite how little was happening and how little the main character had an effect on the outside world that he was in, yeah. you know? This was a movie about two upper crust, about the relationship between two upper crust people that is essentially good. They just have an argument. So mm. it's bizarre that you get two and a half hours worth of enthralling movie out of that. Um, and I guess that's it. Like, I just don't, I, I don't really know who else could have pulled this off either. Yeah. This is a kind of bizarre movie when you look at it on paper. Mm. And yet it, here we are. Also, very much makes sense in with Stanley Kubrick. Like, this is watching this movie. I'm like, I understand why Stanley Kubrick wanted to make this, and also it fits in his filmography. It's very different from a lot of his other movies, but it also doesn't ever feel like he's out of his element. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, at the end, um, I. I really liked it. I I love how unique it felt. I've never seen a movie like it before. Um, and it, it definitely did feel like it was made with love. And uh, 
on honestly like it's a it's a pretty good note for kubrick to go out on just a mm -hmm. very it felt like a very subtle movie um but by like a, a true master of uh of movie making so uh yeah i i did like on paper i'd probably i, I want to give it like maybe like uh, a seven out of ten um maybe a 7.5 um but i will say again I, in terms of like favoritism and stuff i i do love that uh again just how unique it is and i i give it high honorary props for that um and it's definitely a movie i'm going to remember for like a long long time i mean hot take here i think stanley kubrick is good at movies yeah <laughs> what a guess uh, yeah, I would say that like if I were rating it out of ten, I would probably. My initial thought is to go a six, but I would probably put it at a seven too. Yeah, I think it's. Mm -hmm. I. I have mixed feelings about this movie, but not mixed feelings about how good it is. It's just very. It's very hard to watch. I found it very difficult to watch, and it really upset me at a lot of points. Mm hmm. But also, yeah. it, it upset me at points that it was clearly supposed to. It was very well done. And I really appreciate when a movie can, you know, do what it sets out to do, especially when that movie is also good coming out of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would re definitely uh, recommend this movie. 100%. Yes, absolutely. Uh, unless maybe if, if you're like... Not a huge fan of really long movies. That, yeah, that, I mean, that at the end of the day, you do have to say that this is a slow. This is a well. I I can't say slow. It is well paid, but this is a long movie about one argument in a rich couple's relationship. So if that sounds extremely unappealing to you, then don't watch it. But like, if that sounds even kind of intriguing, you're gonna like this movie, or at the very least, you're going to be able to appreciate how good this movie is. Yeah, fully agreed. So, uh, yeah. All right, Pierre, what's our next movie? Uh, did we decide yet, or am I literally deciding on the spot? Well, I mean, I guess technically the next movie that's coming out, just because we recorded these out of order, is going to be Infernal Affairs, but oh, you are deciding on one right after that. Uh, let's say... Uh, no cut bad. No country for old men. Is that it? No, no country for old men. I haven't no, seen by that the Coen, in a while. by the Coen brothers. Oh I my god! I watch yeah. a Coen brothers movie. That's all I know. I don't think we've done one of those yet. So let's let's do a Coen brothers movie next. Let's do No Country for Old Men. That's a that's an interesting Coen brothers movie to start on because I don't think it's very Coen brothers for the Coen brothers. This is true. Yeah, from what I've heard. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Coming up next, you got. Infernal Affairs, and then we're going to watch No Country for Old Men. Exciting. All right. Well, see you all next time. <laughs>